Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our season five analysis episode where we will be breaking down the themes of the season and the messages and discussing whether or not they were effective. So this season, as Vivi likes to remind me, was pitched as the Black Mirror season (laughs) (laughs) back during last year's Comic-Con in terms of it addressing topics surrounding the concept of like technology. But the theme ended up being kind of less related to technology and technology ended up being more of a motif that we saw pop up in various ways connected to this theme. And this theme is believing in people, which was made pretty clear in the season finale when we had a nice three-character I believe in you montage. So this episode, we'll be looking at the various characters related to this theme and some sort of sub-themes and related ideas such as reasons to believe in someone. We see some of the characters grapple with whether or not they know the people in their lives and thus can believe in them and trust them. Also, we'll take a look at the effects of believing in others too much as demonstrated with the characters. (laughs) We saw cases of people being manipulated or maybe believing in themselves less because of how much they believe in another person and feeling shame related to that. And they also explored the results of not believing in people and characters putting trust in other things such as technology or logic or believing in themselves. And as a result of not believing in people, maybe trying to change them or control them. And then we saw this question of whether or not people can change, particularly with Lena and with Malefic in the first half of the season, even with Wynne's father and Jeremiah. And the big bad of the season was connected to this concept of believing in people. Leviathan definitely does not have much faith in Earthlings. (laughs) No. We hear them discuss how humans will destroy this planet unless we destroy them first. And we see them attempt to control the population by killing everyone periodically. Apparently that's their method, (laughs) having some great natural disaster occasionally. Well, apparently that was Rama Khan's preferred strategy. It is not necessarily the one that is the go-to for every member of Leviathan, or so we've been told. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about the uh, technology gods technique (laughs) in a few minutes. And when Gramacon battles Kara in an episode, they have a little exchange where he says, people never change. (laughs) Kara's like, no, don't think so. (laughs) Kara's like, no, in my 15 years on Earth, I definitely know more than you in your hundreds of years. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, would you trust Ramakan? <laughs> I don't know. But I but I do take issue with the fact that the show has this weird message around environmentalism. <laughs> yeah, it's really unfortunate. I don't know if they know. I don't like, think it's intentional. <laughs> but every time they have a character who's like really passionate about saving the planet from like climate change or something. The person turns out to be secretly evil. Mm-hmm. And it's a really weird trend, like going all the way back to season one with Astra. And then you have the guy who was like a climate scientist who gets attacked by Parasite and then goes and kills people in season two. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have Rama Khan, who apparently just every time he thinks the humans are doing too much damage to the earth, he just goes and kills a bunch of people. Like, <laughs> It's an interesting choice. Yeah, especially for a show that is led by someone who lost their planet to a climate change analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the part that's very off. <laughs> yeah. Just once, I would love to see a climate change advocate or like an environmental 
advocate who's not out to mass control or mass murder people. Like, that'd mm-hmm. be nice. Just putting it out there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, speaking of that issue of controlling the people <laughs> yeah, in order to accomplish something, it was good that they did come back to that big issue in season one with Astra and Myriad and using that to try to control all of humanity. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the people of National City first, but then the world <laughs> in true supervillain fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tying back to that theme of control. And related to that, we see this idea of like imprisonment come up a bunch this season. And Myriad as a device is used to mind control people, essentially trapping them inside their minds. And as we mentioned, Leviathan tried a couple techniques out for controlling humanity. We saw Gemma, the Leviathan technology god, team up with Obsidian North and try to trap people within the VR. And obviously, Andrea doesn't know about their devious plot to kill half of the people of Earth. But Gemma, in her like human appearance when talking to Andrea, does specifically mention a whole reality for harmed and damaged people. And eventually they can stay there, which is concerning in a not terribly hidden way. <laughs> and connected to this concept of like trying to control people and that being related to not believing in them and their ability to, you know, not destroy the earth, I guess, in this case, is the concept of perfection. We see a lot of the characters seeking perfection in the season in different ways. And related to the virtual reality, the users try to control their experiences to have kind of the perfect life. And that's something that William talks about eventually pulling himself away from, realizing that he didn't want to live in some perfect VR world. He just wanted to be with the people he cares about. And we see that the like organization of Leviathan in conjunction with Obsidian North is kind of trying to seek the perfect society, which brings us to the topic of prisons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was an intriguingly present concept throughout yeah. most of the season, actually. On rewatch, it was definitely noticeable. The first episode of the season with the woman who escaped the Phantom Zone coming after Jean, we even had Allure's history with the Phantom Zone come up. And her unjust imprisoning of people mm-hmm. for extremely harsh, extremely long sentences, which comes back again in the episode where James and Kelly go to their aunt's house. Yeah. The kid they meet, Simon, his mother was sent to prison for 10 years for like petty theft. And we see the people of the town sort of give up on all of these people who are being unjustly imprisoned. And James ends up staying in that town and demonstrating that he believes in Simon and he believes in the people who were imprisoned and decides to stay there and fight for them. Yep. And then we also have the recurring presence of the prison where Lena does her experiments, which we will talk about later. So there's just this idea that there are people that society just kind of gives up on and exploits and that prison is directly connected to that Mm. as a tool for exploiting them. So that's control with relation to imprisonment and locking people in. We also see in the season control in terms of boundaries and keeping people out, particularly with Kelly. That was basically the subject of her whole arc this season. 
demonstrated nicely, I think. Mm. So she starts off the season very optimistic about technology and people, believes in them both because she's trying to use technology as a tool for helping people. She defends Obsidian to Kara when Kara complains about the VR lenses in the first episode and mentions how she's planning to use Obsidian's tech to help heal the brains of dementia and PTSD patients. And later on, she gets really excited about having her first success at stopping a patient's nightmares. Yeah. And then in the third episode of the season, which was specifically about boundaries and boundary issues, <laughs> we start off with Kelly giving personal advice to a stranger while she's getting her coffee, much to Alex and Kara's consternation because Kelly <laughs> is being tracked by Malefic and had already been kind of abducted and impersonated by a white Martian. And She's still being very open and trusting with people because she wants to help everyone, but it puts her at risk in that episode. Mm -hmm. And Malefic ends up specifically preying on that trust and openness in a similar way to what we see with Lena and Kara in the same episode. Mm, true. Where Kara just wants to help Lena feel better emotionally and Lena gets her to steal for her with the journals. And then we see Kelly eventually come to be sort of disillusioned with Obsidian Tech and the people at Obsidian. There's kind of a shift in her thinking that we see reflected in the way she talks about it in episode 15 when she says, I do truly believe that we're, and she stops herself and says, what I'm doing with Obsidian North can help people. And then the rest of the season, we see her work with William to uncover a conspiracy mm. at Obsidian Tech. And then one of the final beats for her character in the season, we see her talk about how she's got to get better at hiding. And we see the concept of secrecy as a kind of boundary when she decides that she needs to hide. And she also suggests that Alex get a mask. <laughs> But we also saw kind of the inverse with Kelly and Boundaries earlier in the season. Well, this kind of carries through from the pre-crisis part of the season into the later part. But specifically with Kelly's own past and mental health issues and trauma, mm. we actually see her go from keeping that to herself to recognizing that that's a place where she does need to be open and be vulnerable with others. We see her talk about it to Nia because she's upset and having a panic attack after seeing Alex nearly get hurt. We see her specifically confront her own fear of making Alex upset, of potentially having to break up with her in order to say, hey, I am not comfortable or okay right now. And they end up working through it and moving past it in a really nice way. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool, especially as a contrast to seeing like Nia with Brainy and the, the issues of communication there. And then also Kara being set up with William where she's already stressed because she knows she has to lie. Hmm. In addition to like Kara's friendship stuff with Lena and then also some of the stuff with Jean needing to open up to people as well. So yeah. It was nice. And we'll also talk about the concept of hiding and secrecy with relation to shame with a couple of those characters. And then in terms of talking about boundaries and particularly the intersection of boundaries and control, because they are a way of exerting your control over your own emotions, the way people are interacting with you, etc. We go from Kelly, who's like too open and wanting to connect with everyone. And then we're going to switch gears and look at Lena, who is the complete opposite yes. and would prefer to never connect with people at this moment in time if she could mm -hmm. get away with it, which is why her only friend at the start of the season is a robot that she made. 
to be her friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, that comparison actually reminds me of the scene when Brini talks about how his little boxes are failing and then Kelly hands him a tissue box. <laughs> yes. Just the contrast, those two characters. But yeah, Lena does not have faith in people this season at all. No. Well, and because of the things that happen at the end of season four, she's just in a very low place mm-hmm. and feels very hurt and feels betrayed. And as she's warned us in season three, when that happens, she does not respond in a rational or kind way mm-hmm. at all. Yes. <laughs> and we see her put her boundaries up, which is not unfamiliar with Lena, even when she's kind of healthy in terms of her relationships. Yeah, Well, and I think as we've talked about before, that is just a natural response to having been raised in the den of vipers. That was the (laughs) Luther household. Yeah. (laughs) But we also see her try to exert control in terms of imprisonment. Mm -hmm. Metaphorically and literally. Mm -hmm. She pursues Nanachere, the do-no-harm, brain-changing plot, in an attempt to erase all the harm people do because she doesn't trust anybody anymore. And she's basically trying to create perfect people, bringing that idea of perfection back in. And we see her literally experiment on prisoners that she basically owns because she owns the prison and nobody knows about what she's doing (laughs) and that she can do whatever she wants. And if that sounds uncomfortable in light of everything happening in the world right now, good. Yeah. (laughs) And then we also see her seeking control and perfection in another way with relation to Kara or the idea of Kara that she has in her head. And we see that version of Kara of Supergirl in the first episode of the season in Lena's virtual reality mind projection where Kara saves a gaggle of children on a bus (laughs) and says like a catch line like, you just have to fight for what's right and always tell the truth, which is such a like straw man positioning. <laughs> like Kara never walks around and says, always tell the truth. <laughs> it's not directly comparable to the real Kara. No, I mean, Kara mostly says hello and then leaves. <laughs> like, <laughs> she, she's more hope, help, and compassion, I'll say. And Lena argues with this version of Kara and also physically attacks her. Well, the thing that's kind of interesting about that is Lena explicitly says that she's running all these simulations so that she won't come across as that angry in real life. Mm-hmm. But not because she's trying to get over her feelings so that she can be friends with Kara, but so that she won't tip Kara off to the fact that she's angry because she's scheming to get revenge against her. She's not trying to be emotionally productive. (laughs) She's not actually trying to be healthy with it (laughs) in the way that Kelly wants to use the VR to help people get over things that are upsetting. Speaking of Kelly's line of unintended uses. (laughs) Ah, yes. But Lena creates this version of Kara in her head in the VR and then also in her just her head (laughs) that doesn't equate to the real Kara. And we see Lena consistently choose not to believe in Kara this season, but it makes sense because she can't really believe in her as a person because she doesn't quite see her as a person. She thinks of her in terms of values and beliefs and and what she represents to her. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of a parasocial relationship. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of an idealizing of Kara, both as Kara and as Supergirl. Mm, Yes. And over-relying on how Lena perceived Kara 
as like a check on her own morality. Mm. And so now without that, she's like, nothing is true. My life is a lie. Like, <laughs> like it's a big personal identity shake, but she's also coming at it very selfishly. Mm-hmm. And you can see the sort of lack of a connection on an empathetic level with Cora, the person, the individual who like has her own feelings and regrets and wants in the way that Lena refers to Cara as Supergirl instead of using her name for most of the season. And you could see it really contrasted in a couple scenes. Take, for instance, when Lena finally tells Cara that she doesn't forgive her and she talks about how Cara Kara came out to her and says, you were weeping big crocodile tears. Well, I wept real tears. And and so Lena doesn't think that Kara's tears were real. She's not understanding that Kara genuinely felt terrible. And she's placing herself in the position of like, well, I'm the one who has the real feelings about this. But then you compare that to a later scene in the Deus Lex Machina episode after Jeremiah dies when mm-hmm. Lena goes to Kara and and she uses her name Kara for the first time since everything was brought to light between them and Lena recognizes that Kara is in pain and and has had pain in the past and instead of saying that her own pain is more important than Kara. She says that she knows that her own pain pales in comparison to the losses that Kara suffered. So the difference between these two instances is the amount of like empathy and recognizing Kara as an individual as opposed to the idea of Kara, mm. particularly Supergirl. But we also see Lena explore the best friend side of the Kara that's in her brain. Lena kind of tries to make herself the perfect friend this season. Yeah. And it ends up being kind of a version of Kara, but without like needs of her own or like feelings of her own with hope and then the Eve slash hope. (laughs) So we're talking hope, the AI that Lena built, not hope, the concept that (laughs) Kara believes in and that Cycles loves to say. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But that is a clue in to why... I think that this AI is kind of a version of Kara that's the perfect best friend because Hope is Kara's like thing, her brand, <laughs> as Lillian would put it. And then Eve ends up being the vessel for this perfect friend, which is fitting, I guess, because she's blonde. And... No, it's just creepy. Because when we were introduced to Eve in season two, she was literally Kara's replacement. She was her replacement in her job. She dressed like her and she had like such a similar energy that Kat initially was like, oh, God. And Kara was the one who hired her. (laughs) Yeah. So everything about this is like next level. Yike. (laughs) Thinking back now, Eve probably kind of put that on. Did that on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't make it less disturbing, though. No. (laughs) No, it doesn't. So Lena maps Eve's brain to find the trustworthiness center, which brings us back to that concept of knowing people. And in this case, perfectly, like Lena can be sure that Eve is not going to betray her because she has full access to her brain. (laughs) And that she not only knows what's in Eve's brain to a certain extent and whether or not she's lying, she can just control Eve's thoughts and uploads hope 
And she makes her essentially ultimately loyal. We see Hope the AI in the beginning of the season offers to kill for her for Lena, which is mm-hmm. not necessarily something a normal best friend. I mean, unless you're Lillian Luther. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that, Hope the AI was Lena's first foray into her do no harm. And she didn't question the fact that it was like, hey, so I could have her secretly killed for you. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Yeah. That didn't raise a red flag anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of loyalty and like never being betrayed, Hope is also in Eve's body, willing to sacrifice herself, her life for Lena's project of Nanuchere. And she's like, one of my prime directives as you programmed was to ensure the success of Nanuchere, if that means self-sacrifice. And that line just reminded me so much of Kara in season one, being willing to sacrifice herself. Oh, that's so terrible because that was her prime directive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From her mom. That's true. And and she says about how her mom sent her to Earth. She sent me here to protect Kal-El and now I will use my powers to protect the earth and if i die achieving that i'm at peace with it so they express this willingness to sacrifice their lives for the greater good in their heads but it just hits different when hope (laughs) says it because hope was programmed to do it lena made her be that way it's not like kara who even though she was raised a certain way ultimately has the ability to make a decision and the same thing goes for when hope expresses belief in lena and it's like it would be worth it for both of us because i believe in you like kara has said that multiple times and she wasn't programmed by lena to say it yeah it's like so how meaningful is it then <laughs> yeah the most striking part though at the end is just how much lena has in an effort to put up boundaries and keep people out, she's let her guard down entirely in terms of her sense of like what's real and authentic and what isn't mm-hmm. because she doesn't want Hope to sacrifice herself because she's like, no, you're my friend. And Andrea Brooks did a great job with this because Hope looks at Lena and is like, but I'm not your friend <laughs> and I'm something you created. And the fun part about this is as she says this the strains of the luther theme (laughs) start to play in the background Mm -hmm. just to remind you that lena has just completely played herself (laughs) yeah she she programmed her too well (laughs) and lena eventually decides to let hope slash eve sacrifice herself even though, you know, Eve never made that decision. And we don't really see a crack in this pattern of behavior from Lena until she sees Steve, the prisoner who Lena was experimenting on with Nandachere, unable to defend himself from other people she experimented on. (laughs) And she experiences that empathy for an individual person. He wasn't like an abstract concept of people who she will just ultimately make better. He was a person who she failed. Well, and it's interesting that failure is what gets through to her because Lex pointed that out last season. Oh, nice. And we see this concept of being able to believe in other people, being connected to empathy for them with Lena and then also with Jean and Malefic, as we'll talk about later. And John says, the only reason that Malefic and I were able to come through the other side is because we can see each other's pain. And that is something that Lena has struggled with even before the season. Hmm. 
And then after this event, Lena, you know, realizes that Lex has been playing her and he specifically demonstrates the ideas that she thought she believed in, which were like, people are terrible and we have to control them. (laughs) But the kind of the extreme version or at least the explicit version of that and is like, no, (laughs) no, thanks. And she goes to Kara and she begins to demonstrate belief in her. And even with that first conversation when she says, I'm really hoping that you will believe in me right now, recognizing Carr's ability to forgive and and having some kind of hope concerning her as a person. But ultimately, the thing that she needed to do was recognize that Carr is a person with feelings. And that's something that Carr herself had to emphasize with her, that it's not just about how you worked with Lex and what your goals were, which you know, in and of itself would have been pretty rough. But you specifically hurt me as your friend and targeted me personally, which takes us to Kara and her character arc concerning the idea of like believing in people. We've talked about before on the podcast how she's struggled with the concept of knowing people and like whether or not she really does because that's like a car skill at least in her head like being able to judge the character of another person and like specifically whether or not one should believe in them and hope that they'll do the right thing. This is a consistent thing that we've seen with her and this season she feels like she's being thrown through a loop with like William and how he was a jerk. And then it turns out he was just putting that on and it ended up being really nice. And then Andrea, who she thought was terrible, but didn't expect to be a murderer. And then especially Lena and how they were best friends for years and how Kara has put so much energy into supporting her and believing in her. And now maybe Lena's acting in a way that is Luther-like. And Lena calls the Luthers scorpions, which uh, I thought was interesting because it evoked the fable of the scorpion and the frog, where the scorpion asks for the frog to take the scorpion across a lake and then the frog does. The frog trusts the scorpion. Then the scorpion, while they're in the lake, attacks the frog. And the frog's like, dude, now we're both going to drown. And the scorpion's like, well, I'm a scorpion. It's what we do. (laughs) So this idea that people just behave according to their nature is something that Lena had been reflecting. And and Cara struggled this season with the idea that maybe Lena is acting in accordance to that concept of the Luther. And it's an interesting message that the show gives in terms of believing in people where usually the show is very pro believing in others and their ability to change and do good and Lena eventually does but it's important for Kara to lose some faith in Lena and hold her accountable because believing in her implicitly is ultimately harmful so the concept of the negative effects of believing in someone who is acting maliciously we see Lena manipulate Kara, and Kara feels really bad about herself for seven episodes. Lena gets her to lower her boundaries, bringing that concept back in past where Lena knows that Kara is comfortable. And Kara trusts Lena, and ultimately, you know, the other option being that Lena is, in fact, in the wrong. Kara buys into the sort of myth of who the perfect Supergirl and the perfect best friend is and who she should be. And we've talked a lot before about how guilty Kara felt and she felt like she was a hypocrite because she she said, I've been given a word for my tireless pursuit of the truth and I'm a liar. I'm terrible. And she thinks that she must adhere to this value 
that Supergirl represents, apparently. And and fully, she has to adhere to that value, or she's awful. And she tries to skip the Pulitzer ceremony. We see Alex consistently kind of like, dude, maybe chill out a little bit. Kara obsesses over having the perfect lunch with Lena. And, you know, James gives her advice later about, like, when a friend's in trouble, you jump in, period, which is a very, like, black and white kind of advice. And it's in line with, you know, what you would think Supergirl's values would be or what Kara, the perfect best friend's values would be. So Kara goes along with it. And we see Kara experience a lot of self-doubt and shame. And we see how it makes her want to hide. Kara was so scared to tell Lena initially because she thought she would lose Lena. But specifically, Kara thought that she'd lose Lena because Kara did something wrong. Like the first thing that she does when she does come out is lay out all of the ways that she was awful and selfish. And I think that's because those were the things that were weighing on her. She's not trying to convince Lena that she did it to protect her. She's trying to confess how terrible she has been. And then we see Kara's shame ultimately get even worse when Lena reveals that she doesn't forgive her. And kind of like how she was afraid to tell Lena that she's Supergirl because of that shame, she ends up hiding the severity of the situation with Lena from Alex and Brainy after Lena traps her with kryptonite and then almost kills her. And we see Alex kind of have to confront her and be like, all right, stop, explain everything that happened because you can tell that Kara's avoiding it. And one of my favorite, I think, observations of yours this season was about the way Alex reacted to the footage of Lena, like, yelling at Kara in the 100th episode, kind of like it was new information. <laughs> and in that 100th episode, Kara, she even says that she thinks she's been too scared to admit it, but I think Lena would be better off if she and I were never friends. And I think that highlights sort of the difference between someone feeling guilty versus someone feeling ashamed. Kara comes to the conclusion that it's not about what choices she made. It's just about her presence. It's about who she is. Shame being something that one feels about who they are as a person, as opposed to not liking something they've done in the past. And then Kara doesn't want to create a relationship built on lies with William and is clearly living in fear of the day that William finds out that she was lying too, imagining that it'll go the same way. And in the 100th episode, Kara exhausts every option for doing the right thing with Lena. She sure does. <laughs> All the choices. <laughs> yes. And she exhausts every option in their universe, the original one, concerning trying to convince Lena to like forgive her and not mind control people um <laughs> and she finally starts to trust herself again and believe in herself as opposed to believing in the concepts that have come as a result of not being willing to doubt lena and she ends up creating those boundaries with her and eventually reaches that place where she's willing to admit that she has her own feelings and it's interesting because i feel like season five is very much about Kara learning to stand up for herself with her friend and it's fitting that the first episode of the season, Kara talks about her conversation with Andrea and it's like, I told her how I really feel about her vision for Kako and I told her what I will and will not tolerate and I did it all in front of a new guy. Portions of that sound a lot like the conversations that she ended up having with Lena about standing up for herself and creating boundaries and, and mm. doing that with someone she cares about. But it makes sense that she's still struggling with that. Given that she was taught for such a long time to really blend into the background and not 
assert herself too much in case it called attention. Mm, that's true. Yeah. So that's a kind of a combination of that earth environment, that earth life, <laughs> and the values imparted upon her concerning what she's for. So that was Kara's arc for the season. Alex, on the other hand, had an arc this season concerning learning to trust others and to relinquish some control in assorted situations. But she also did struggle with the concept of knowing others, particularly in the beginning of the season with Kelly, and how she was afraid of how hard she had fallen for her without knowing everything about her. She was sort of set off by the fact that she didn't know that Kelly had a blueberry allergy. A perfectly reasonable thing to not know about someone you only met a few weeks before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she comes to realize that sort of perfect knowledge isn't necessary and that just her kind of instincts are good enough and maybe preferable. <laughs> well, actually, that's almost building a little bit on Alex's storyline from last year where due to the mind wipe, the only thing that was keeping her allied with everyone else was her instincts and the ways that she judges people. So hmm. to see her consciously recognize like that it's okay to trust that yeah, <laughs> was a nice development for her. Mm -hmm. She realizes it when Kelly is impersonated by Malefic and her hand just feels different. Well, the way it, it specifically was the way they were holding hands, like they showed it. Mm. Speaking of Alex being a sensor versus an intuitor. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> but that concept of instinct is interesting in terms of Alex's later storyline with the hand of the soldier mm. and how she struggles with that. But Alex <laughs> struggles with letting go of fear. Yes. Particularly with relation <laughs> to her loved ones being in danger and relinquishing control. And it's interesting because we see weapons as a tool of control for Alex, particularly in that context of DEO, a place which imprisons aliens. Mm -hmm. So early in the season, Alex is pretty much ready to kill Malefic, Sean's brother, with the Martian gun that they have in order to protect Kelly. And she doesn't, in that episode, trust her own team to find another solution in time. Brainy and Jean are working on it and kind of have a bit of a time limit. It's actually comparable to Nia's storyline later concerning waiting for the proper authorities to go after oh. the transphobic man who attacked her friend. But then Alex ends up being mind-controlled and made to almost kill Jean with that Martian gun that she wanted to use. And that's sort of a moment of like realizing the possible consequences of that decision. And then there's a beat where Jean asks Alex, do you trust me? And she says yes. And Jean takes a bomb off of her with his phasing powers, which was a nice conclusion of that idea. But it's definitely a recurring thing. This season, we see Alex make progress in terms of like boundaries and trusting people with Kelly and how she, in episode seven, let Kelly take care of her when she got hurt instead of rushing back to work. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the important part was that she let herself be talked out of getting up and going back to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then we see her again in episode eight prepared to kill Lena when Lena is trying to use Myriad to control people. And then she also imprisons and points guns at Malefic, bringing back that concept of weapons as tools of control and imprisonment. Well, and the important thing with both of those decisions is that Alex is standing in opposition to other members of her family who are telling her not to do either of those things because they trust the intentions of the person that Alex doesn't. 
Mm -hmm. And this is her constant struggle. (laughs) It sure is. Although she does end up ultimately, like when push comes to shove, we'll say, believing in uh, Jean and Kara's judgment. And then Alex makes this big step of leaving the DEO, which makes her super uncomfortable, (laughs) like out in public without her weapon and navigating certain situations without a whole team at her back from the DEO. Mm -hmm. She also has trouble later on learning to sort of trust the hand of the soldier and form a sort of strange symbiotic alien technology brain relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Jean's like, just trust it. This will be fine eventually. And Alex is like, no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then we also see her struggle in terms of believing in herself. A constant problem. (laughs) Yes. And in the Alex in Wonderland episode, her faith in Jeremiah was certainly shaken because he died. And that's kind of the conclusion to the question of whether or not he's going to come home. And Related to that, her belief in herself is damaged. Jeremiah never came home and she never brought him home. She never succeeded in doing that. But Alex learns from herself that it wasn't her responsibility to make him be the dad that she needed. And at the end of the season, we see her believe in herself enough to be like, sure, I'll battle gods as a vigilante. (laughs) This weapon's good enough. And she figures out how to use the weapon that Mm -hmm. Jean gave her. Yes, but she's still struggling with that question of whether or not she belongs there, I suppose, Yeah, by the end of the season. Which is really a nice connection back to her kind of core emotional issue that goes all the way back to the pilot of mm. not knowing how to feel confident, like next to Kara. Yeah. And now Kara and Jean and Nia and, <laughs> and <laughs> Magan and yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she's doing it anyway because they're her family and she loves them. And that is how Alex gets through things at the end of the day. Yes. As was summed up with her exchange with Nia where Nia's like, are you ready? Alex is like, no, let's go. Yep. I think that's very similar to advice that she gave Wynn back in season two when they went through the transmatter portal to Slaver's Moon. (laughs) Cute. He was like, I am scared. And Alex was like, yes, same. Get over it. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I do want to call attention to some things that, in light of the state of the world, did not age well within Alex's storyline, but that are things that were embedded within the story of the show from the beginning. And it's just reached a point where it doesn't quite work anymore from like a hero point of view. Mm -hmm. So specifically, the scene in episode 508, the last one before Crisis, where Alex decides that she's going to have Malefic under armed guard because she doesn't trust him. The visual of that, and I mean, it's meant to be disturbing, but just with her as a character that we relate to, that we are supposed to root for, making the decision to have two guards point guns at a black man's head Mm -hmm. after we had season three, Jean and James specifically had a whole storyline about removing guns from the DEO and de-escalating use of force. And then unfortunately, it supports the idea of institutional racism. As soon as Jean stopped being in charge, all of that progress went backwards. Mm -hmm. And we've never seen Alex reconsider after she gets her memories back. We've never seen her question it. And instead, they've kind of doubled down on this like Alex loves guns thing. And there's no consideration of how her use of force or use of power in these situations creates a 
mixed message in a very uncomfortable way. And the other part about it is just from a kind of a world building standpoint, maybe this is why they blew up the DEO. (laughs) Defund the police for sure. Abolish. (laughs) But the DEO has always been really an uncomfortable organization. And it was framed that way from the beginning. And the show has never really fully grappled with that. It's never dealt with the fact that Jean impersonated a horrible, bigoted person and continued enacting those policies in order to stay safe Mm -hmm. for years, that he brought Alex into that while still pretending to be that person and that some of the values that she's picked up are because of that. And it's never looked at the interplay of how the mind wipe affected Alex's relationships with either Kara or Jean and the prejudices that Alex holds that came to the surface during that story. And I would really love to see the show get into that and return to those three characters and their relationship with each other because there is a lot there mm-hmm. that has never been touched. Yeah. In terms of Alex's decision-making with relation to weapons, it's quite frequently framed as a negative with her, but then it never goes quite far enough to actually say something definitive about it. It's just kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, she made a bad choice there. And oh, isn't it good that that changed but like not in a fully impactful way. Yeah. And the thing about that that's interesting is that when you are a person who is in the default position of power, you get to be an individual in that way. Mm. And it gets to be about you and your choices. And it's not looked at as a systemic issue of any character who was in this default position would get to have that hand waved away. Yeah. And so hopefully we do see some both improvement and maybe some addressing of past things. Mm -hmm. Given some of the things that we've seen coming out from the cast and the crew, those conversations are happening. It's just a question of how they'll manifest in the context of the show. Yeah. And I know that Ozzy and Nicole have talked about how excited they are for what's coming for season six. And that discussion was within the greater context of facing inequality specifically. So perhaps we will see that addressed. Yeah, it might surface again. So now taking a look at our final member of the core trio of Space Fan, we have Jean and his character journey this season. His primarily centered around the concept of knowing people, but specifically knowing himself and how he begins to feel that he doesn't know himself. And, you know, in season four, we saw Jean decide who he is or who he wants to be and how he wants to behave in his kind of declarative statement, I am the Martian Manhunter, as the end of that moral arc. I was just thinking, though, we did get more insight into the fact that Jean's personality and his uh, desire to hide and lie apparently has (laughs) deep roots. That's Um. true. Yeah. But Jean in season five doesn't think he knows who he is at his core because of missing memories and what he theoretically might have done. And then eventually he finds out what he did do and he has doubts about who he is because of that. And we also see with relation to that, the concept of believing in people and not believing in Malefic at first and controlling and imprisoning him multiple times throughout their lives and even not believing in Marin, his father, and how he chooses to wipe Marin's pain away by taking his memory of Malefic, Jean reflects upon this and says, rather than finding the strength to lift him up, I crossed a line. 
And these discoveries about what he did conflict with his sense of self and kind of his ideal self, the Martian Manhunter, an honorable man. And he experiences shame. And kind of like Kara did this season hides as a result of that. He hides his discovery from Alex and Kara. And the way that he resolves these issues is by taking a kind of leap of faith with Malefic and kneeling before him and letting him fully into his mind and the show of belief in him to contrast with the way that he doubted him in his childhood and then young adulthood. But we should take a minute to talk about the space fam with relation to this theme of belief in people, because we see them consistently prove how much they know each other and believe in each other. With Jean, we saw Carr reassure him when he was having doubts about who he might be by saying, well, you have us and we know you. And then Alex also says when Jean talks about how he was afraid that Alex would hate him for what he did to Malefic. And Alex said, I remember you telling me once that true character reveals itself in times of hardship and I know who you really are. And Jean also reflects kind of the values that he's learned from those connections with Alex and Kara to Malefic when Malefic asks, where did this love and forgiveness come from? And Jean says, from my family. And then also with Alex, we see Kara recognize that Malefic isn't actually Alex when he shapeshifts into her pretty immediately, demonstrating that she knows her. And Alex also uses her faith in Kara and Jean to navigate her natural tendency to distrust people in a way that ultimately is helpful for her character progression. And with Kara, Alex demonstrates that she knows her and knows that she is not the perfect Supergirl that Lena has in her head, but also thinks that she deserves, you know, praise like the Pulitzer Prize and thinks that she is courageous even though she's afraid to tell Lena and, you know, deserves to be treated well generally. And Jean reassures Kara when she's stressed about her troubles concerning knowing people or not knowing them and says, like, when the world is uncertain, there's one thing that's rock solid. It's the people who love you. And that sentiment is reflected in the 100th episode when Kara goes through all of these different universes with Lena and trying to get her to understand the decision she made and forgive her for something she sees as a mistake. And then Kara comes home with Alex and Jean, who just believe in her and says, you've been with me from the second I became Supergirl, my best moments, and especially my worst moments. And that means the world to me. And then she says, Elmira, which ties back into the core of the show. And we even see Lena be like low-key envious of Kara and Alex's relationship. And there's this moment early in the season when Lena puts hope into Eve's brain, making that sort of perfect best friend that we talked about. The song Girls Just Want to Have Fun plays, but it's like a creepy version. Mm. And it's quite the contrast with the other time we've heard that song in another cover in season one with a very happy Denver sisters scene where they had a genuine connection. And then in the finale, Kara and Alex have a pretty typical sister moment in terms of... A, f- a sister finale moment. Yeah. In terms of like being stressed out about everything and telling each other to stay safe. And Lena has a moment where she looks over and then like looks away. And it's very clear that she wishes she had maybe a relationship like that. Mm. Well, and they've actually been setting up 
Lena as a counterweight to Alex a lot this season. I noticed that particularly in rewatching it and watching the episodes in quicker succession Mm. instead of having them so spread out because of different like delays and things. Mm -hmm. And that's actually been true since season two. They had a lot of moments that were kind of meant to be counterweights in a way that emphasizes that they are important in Kara's life in similar ways. And I even noticed in the episode 17, the Deus Lex Machina episode, that the moment in the flashback where Lena decides to accept Kara's friendship, it plays the same music that played at the end of episode 16 when Kara and Alex were together at Jeremiah's funeral Mm -hmm. and kind of re-emphasizing that same idea that these are two relationships that Kara thinks of similarly in that way, which is kind of neat. Yeah. It's also the version of the Supergirl main theme. It has that sort of like Supergirl's family feel. Mm -hmm. Well, and as we observed the way they used it in episode 16, it's moving away from the heroic things are when the suit is on. Mm, Yes. And in the idea that being vulnerable and being connected to people is also heroic, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So we have a couple other important characters to the season who had interesting relationships with this theme of belief in people. Brainy, this season, had a lot of self-doubt and and difficulty believing in himself. And he had shame concerning his behavior in his childhood. Just like Jean. Yes. And that led Brainy to hiding his true personality with the personality inhibitors. And then ultimately, when he has the question of whether or not he should take the inhibitors off, he struggles with believing in himself because he doesn't know himself. (laughs) Kind of like Jean again. (laughs) And in the second half of the season, we see Brainy not trust like the super family to do what is necessary Mm -hmm. and instead put his faith in logic as the mom friend Brainy (laughs) expresses. Alas, in a moment like this, there's only one thing you can do, trust the math. And he ultimately ends up mimicking the sort of behavior that he expressed fearing and disliking in the worst villain ever, Miranda Priestley from The Devil Wears Prada. And he says, she's cold, she's uncaring, she portrays the people she cares about the most. And that's kind of the way that Brainy outwardly appears to the super family and uh, acts cold and pretends to be uncaring and ends up betraying them and working with Lex, which is interesting in terms of lines that foreshadow the trajectory of a character in ways that you might not initially expect in the first episode of the season. Kind of like Kara had the line about Andrea and finally standing up for herself. So now let's talk about the final character we'll be addressing this episode, Nia Nall. She spent the beginning of the season assuring Brainy repeatedly that she knows him, tying back into that idea of knowing someone, and that she believes in him no matter what he does with the inhibitors. But then around that same time, she was also hiding how she really felt about his earlier behavior and and kind of kept it inside until she ultimately blew up, which will become relevant in a minute to her later on behavior. Mm. And then after Brainy takes off his inhibitors and breaks up with her, she feels like she doesn't know Brainy. The first thing she says is like, who are you when he breaks up with her? So she can't trust him in the same way and she doesn't believe in herself. And we see the ripple effects of that throughout the season and see it kind of come to a crescendo. 
and the root behind that is how she doesn't know why Brainy left her. Like, she doesn't get it. He doesn't really give her an explanation. No, he doesn't really give anyone an explanation. No. <laughs> and that brings up a lot of self-doubt for her. And that's something that Wynne addresses specifically when he comes to talk to her. And he's like, never let anyone question your own worth. And that speaks to the problem that she was having at the time, which was, there must be something wrong with me, is kind of the idea behind it. And that then had the ripple effect of making her doubt herself concerning her mother's death again and bringing up that wound which hasn't quite healed mm. obviously and then again she hides her feelings about it until she sort of blows up in a way where she is seeking a way to channel that energy and find some control through protecting the trans community and we'll talk about that in a minute but the place where she ends up is setting boundaries with brainy and and kind of keeping herself from letting all that doubt seep in like it had been for several episodes and letting go of wondering why he broke up with her and just kind of moving forward and and giving him an ultimatum which was like either you're with us or you're <laughs> not <laughs> which was very a nia thing to do <laughs> yes and we saw with her that growth in her case was in a way not being so concerned with belief in Brainy and trusting that he does good things. Therefore, if he broke up with her, something must be wrong with her and kind of letting go of that idea and instead trying to move forward in a more productive way in terms of messages about the concept of believing in people. But one interesting angle on this question of whether or not a person should believe in another person or believe in people generally was explored in the episode Reality Bites, which was focused on Nia. Episode 15, when a transphobic man targeted Yvette and was targeting other trans people. And Yvette, for those of you who've forgotten, is Nia's roommate. Yes. And Nia wanted to go after him and kill him. But they explore the idea that we don't need to believe in this transphobic man. <laughs> Sometimes people just don't deserve our belief in them. And which is not a very typical Supergirl message. It's not because Kara always comes from a place of believing that if you give people enough time, they can change. And we've seen her have to confront the hard way that that's not always true. Mm -hmm. Whereas Nia's like, he's never going to change goodbye. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, she says there's no catching this guy and redeeming him. There's no hope speech that can make this better directly like targeting that thing that Kara stands for in a way that's kind of interesting if you think about Alex and her relationship with the idea of hope and Supergirl and how Jeremiah didn't come back. Mm. Well, and actually, it's also interesting because like you see this become a little more present towards the end of the season. But Alex and Nia have overlapping similarities in certain things in terms of like how they view other people. Mm. But they express it in very different ways. <laughs> different energies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But for this transphobic guy, we're perfectly happy to see him go to prison in contrast with all of the other imprisonment situations like Lena experimenting on the prisoners. And, you know, the kid Simon who lived in James's town, his mom being wrongfully imprisoned. Like, or like sad, scrawny Steve. <laughs> in this case... When Nia says you're going to prison for a very long time, it's a positive thing. But then we also see, in addition to that idea that there's no redeeming every person, that one should still behave in a way that presupposes a general belief in people, in a way that works in conjunction with society. Basically, the idea that Dreamer and Supergirl don't get to decide who is beyond belief or deserving of life. They act in accordance with the law. Well... And that's actually really interesting, especially given the current political climate and 
this idea of vigilantism that is kind of popping up all over the place, especially online, Mm -hmm. that Kara and Nia as these very public figures and superheroes explicitly are not acting above the law in the sense that they are judge, jury, and in this case, Nia also wants to be executioner. Mm. And Kara is really trying to make her understand that in a way that is very similar to Kara having to kind of go through that lesson with Kat in season one Mm. and say, you know, you are a symbol to people when you are wearing that suit. You don't get to be you. Yeah. You are the thing that people need and that the values that that represents. She needs to think very carefully about how she behaves and what that says to people and the messages that sends. And it ties into Kara's feeling constrained by that in the Red K episode Mm -hmm. and being like, well, what if I did do all of that? And much like we see Nia in this episode break down at the end, Kara had the same reaction after she very nearly gave in to a lot of those feelings of Mm. deep anger and rage and just hurt about not being able to have control over these very painful things. Yeah. It's a question of how you treat power. Mm -hmm. And we definitely see that it's a balancing act. We see some of the characters thinking that they have to be perfect all the time because of this power, which is something that we see explored with the super characters generally. And then also the idea, contrastingly, that you can just do whatever you want because you have this power, which is a relevant idea. And in the Reality Bites episode, they address the idea that it's not just one guy. Yeah, and like putting away this guy is going to like solve every problem with transphobia in the world. Yes. And Yvette was like, you can tell yourself that it's just one guy like I did, but I should have known better. I'm a trans woman of color. Okay, I know what we're up against. But then Nia tells Yvette that they still have to try, basically. That Mm -hmm. Yvette shouldn't delete all of her social media accounts and never go on another date, even though it's uniquely dangerous for Nia and especially Yvette to try to find romantic love and to try to also just be themselves in the world. They should still try to be happy and try to change the world through that expression, which is a very Supergirl idea. The concept of despite the odds, choosing to be happy, choosing to try to make things better. And this idea in terms of Nia as a trans superhero and Kara as an alien superhero and these roles having to choose to believe in people is simultaneously compelling and sad (laughs) as we in reality, discuss police brutality and try to figure out how to combat it. Mm, Yeah. One of the kind of intriguing subtexts to this is the idea that Kara and Nia, both as representatives of different minority groups, have to play that role of being the bigger person because people in the default or the majority group don't think they have to. And that because they are representing a marginalized community, Kara and Nia and people like them have to do everything right to be taken seriously Mm -hmm. and that anything that isn't done the right way is kind of detracting from the message and that's actually something i think a couple of the actors have talked about yeah to some extent like in within their own personal experiences and also just the experiences of people they know in their broader communities as you know people who are black people who are from other countries and living temporarily in a different location people Mm -hmm. who are in the queer community and it's nice to see it as an undercurrent to the the struggles that these characters have because that's at least realistic. Yeah. 
Well, I know that Nicole Means talked about Nia as a character and Mm -hmm. trying to portray her and worrying at first about Nia showing any faults and how that might make people think certain things about trans people. Well, and that's also one of the dangers with like token representation Mm -hmm. where you just stick in one character of a particular minority identity and you have no other depictions of it. And so that one character becomes the be all and end all. And then in places where you don't have diverse media, there's also this pressure that it like it has to be all things to all people. And like no one One human person can be all things to all people. So it's very foolish to think that one character can do that Mm -hmm. because characters are supposed to feel like people. (laughs) um, Well, that also is relevant to something they expressed in the show back in season four with Kara's goal to make aliens seem like people with positive mm -hmm. and negative traits and then also putting Nia on the air and demonstrating that she's like a, a, a person, person. <laughs> yeah <laughs> not just like a symbol but also a person who likes like media who like yeah has a personality and negative traits positive traits and well the other thing that's interesting about that example is that Kara recognized how important that is and she offered Nia the opportunity to do it but Kara herself would never do that <laughs> that's true she would be too afraid to do that yeah I think on some level just like Jean's natural inclination is to not be open like that. Yeah. Well, that this is something that I would like to talk about in the podcast, but that also speaks to the generational divide and different experiences that the different alien characters have. Mm-hmm. Nia as a younger person. Well, and also Nia as having never had any other home but Earth. Yeah. And then also the fact that she grew up in a relatively like progressive mm. concerning aliens place. Yeah. And then you have Kara as someone who was a child immigrant and has a very different worldview because of that. And then you have Jean, who is the adult um, (laughs) and is much more Mm. what you'd see in an immigrant narrative of someone who came to a new place as an adult and then dealing with all the assimilation challenges of that. Yeah. I mean, it also makes sense on an individual character level for Jean, especially about the kind of desire to hide. Mm. But just in terms of thinking about Kara, who herself works in media and knowing how powerful that is and how powerful she as a superhero and a symbol is, she, I don't think, especially given how she let like a couple details slip in season one and that was such a big <sighs> crisis for people figuring out who she was. Yeah. I don't know that she'd ever want to put herself out there like that yeah. in that way. It'll be neat to see her someday get to that point. Yeah, I agree. And I know that we talked about how Kara has been a mentor to Nia in terms of Nia holding herself to a certain standard as Dreamer and compared that to stuff that Kat said to Kara in season one. But there is a difference there in terms of what Kat said, because it was very, you have to be perfect. You don't get Mm. to have flaws. Yeah. In a way that is not the same with Kara to Nia. Don't make mistakes ever. Don't make mistakes. You don't get to have bad days was kind of the idea. Yeah. Whereas Kara's like, I'm going to take the things I like about the advice I received (laughs) and remove the things I thought were not good. (laughs) And we'll try that. Yes. (laughs) A mixture. Yeah. And then kind of as we've been talking about looking back at things that have happened throughout the course of the series, there's like a couple of motif things that I wanted to bring up that were very present, especially in the first part of season five before crisis. Motifs, not in terms of music. But yes, like a, a storytelling motif, not a musical recurring one. Recurring ideas. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. 
because <laughs> with me, you never know. Uh, <laughs> But there was a really big undercurrent to the front part of season five focusing on memory and remembering and how those things work for us as both individuals and on a social level, which was really, really cool. Like you had the beginning of the season where we saw both Kara and Jean's cultures commemorated in a museum and we find out like they've donated some things to it to try to make it accurate. Like it's not like, you know, an old colonial museum where they stole all the things like Colville did and like put it together and misinterpreted it. Yeah. And the other thing about it that was really neat was when we see the museum and people getting to experience like the Supergirl exhibit and learn about Krypton, there's actually a little strain of the original season one Supergirl piano theme. Speaking of motifs. Yes, that plays in that moment of this bunch of little kids being introduced to the world of Supergirl, which was really a nice detail there. Yes, which is interesting because I think it reinforces the idealistic version of these superhero characters. Like we we're just talking about like the perfect Supergirl, the perfect Martian Manhunter, like we saw in the Martian exhibit. And we actually see Malefic kind of play upon that idea of the perfect hero when he distorts the video that was playing describing the Martian Manhunter. And he had it describe Jean's failings to highlight how far from that idealized hero he actually is. Hmm. Yeah. And that idea of kind of memory was like entirely wrapped up in Jean's storyline because we had him realizing there were things missing from his memory and also then him affecting the collective memory of his entire people, him erasing the memory of his brother. Highlighting how terrible that is for their culture. Which must be especially awful considering the fact that memory is all that Jean has of his culture and Jean mm-hmm. and his brother have of his culture after the Martian Holocaust. Yeah, well, and also considering that sharing thoughts and memories is such a big part of how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And that was why Malefic was so cast out in the first place. Like he he couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a huge part of Jean's storyline that kind of reinforced this motif. And then you also had James dealing with more of his past than we saw at the end of last season. He and Kelly go back to kind of a place where they grew up and spent a lot of time. But we also we see James being in a kind of a come full circle for a character who was brought out of the Superman story to really ground Kara and help her establish her independence as a superhero to have us go back to James and see him reflecting on his roots and what's important to him and really closing the loop on this struggle of who do I want to be as Mm. me independent of my association with these superheroes was like another really nice use of of this idea. Mm -hmm. Using again the name Jimmy. (laughs) Yes, that was nice. We also have, although this doesn't get touched upon directly, throughout the whole of season five, there's a little hint of of Alex maybe being kind of traumatized by the many times her mind's been messed with by Myriad, Mm. by the Martians. Yeah. We have her having the flashbacks to when she was in the tank from season two later Mm -hmm. on in season five. Someone should talk to her about that. (laughs) Like, like, that's a lot of times having your your mind altered by outside forces. Like, uh, (laughs) yeah, especially for Alex, who has like struggles with her inability to control outside forces. Yeah. Well, and especially also after they gave that little detail in season three of how her grandmother had dementia. Yeah. 
like you're not telling me like she went through all this like memory loss and mind alteration and she's not as like a person who's trained as a doctor mentally like oh god <laughs> um, at least once like, yeah and then kind of related to talking about characters revisiting their past or maybe getting flashbacks and stuff we also got to see the kind of backstory of lena and andrea and how they got to know each other and then also how william was kind of interconnected in andrea's story and also kelly we saw her touching base with somebody that she knew when she was in the military and Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and how memories of those past things impact the character's decisions in the present like with Kelly thinking that the Martian impersonating her friend was genuine yeah opening herself up to something very dangerous and then Andrea similarly thinking that because of the the fondness that she and Lena had for each other in the past that Lena's coming to her was genuine Hmm. having that affect her decisions we see how memory can mislead the various mm. characters. Yes. And also, too, with the way Lex is manipulating Lena based on, you know, her memories of the way he maybe made her feel as a kid mm. and all of that. So, yeah. And then also related to another motif that we saw, technology, we had a bit of artificial memory with the VR and particularly with the VR therapy that John went through to mm. revisit his memories and get the ones that were missing back. And then at the end of the season, the big sort of obstacle for Kara was getting everyone to leave the VR. And we saw the VR mislead the people of Earth with memories of their lost loved ones, like with the woman who lost her husband and the boy who lost his mom. Hmm. Well, and it's also just it was a neat choice to have that be such a motif throughout the season because of crisis coming in and disrupting Mm, everything. (laughs) Yeah. And disrupting everything. But then having this idea of remembering things, valuing your memories and figuring out how that connects to who you are as a person Mm -hmm. being a continued undercurrent of, okay, this is how we still know that these characters are who they are and that what's real is real or not. (laughs) Yeah. Then maybe perspectives changing like with Mm -hmm. Lena and Kara having the memory of Lena repeatedly proving that she is, you know, different than Lex. And then Alex in turn being like, well, maybe these other things that you forgot about are important. And then also in terms of the 100th episode, we saw Kara um, struggle to remember stuff that wasn't about like Lena and her relationship with her. Yeah. Yeah. She was so tunnel vision that she was forgetting really big important things which <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm not sure if that suggests that she was like over focusing on lena versus like she's been in so many near-death situations that they don't <laughs> even register anymore which like yeah that's a separate conversation that <laughs> that someone needs to have with her sure. like um <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think it sort of spoke to how Kara's perspective had shifted so much because of her relationship with lena and lena making the fact that Kara lied to Lena more important than anything else that happened (laughs) across the years. Mm. And then as you already hinted and the show did not hint at all, technology was one of the other very present motifs that was mixed in throughout the season. When they kind of pitched the focus of season five before it started and made that comparison of like, oh, it's the Black Mirror season, that set a very different expectation, at least in my brain. Mm -hmm. But it ended up being kind of more just there to move plot points than that it was something that was really like being commented upon specifically or like that had an overarching like message to it. Yeah. They weren't as much trying to say anything much about 
technology so much as they were using technology to say something about humanity. Yeah, it was just like the technology is here and it's going to be the set of like props and things that we're going to use to tell this (laughs) other story. But within that, they did at least try to kind of explore some different viewpoints and, and things like that. So you have Kara start out very early in the season concerned about the idea that people don't pay attention to important things in the real world, like voting and (laughs) (laughs) politics and corruption because they're busy kind of playing with their devices or they're wearing Andrea's little fancy contact lenses. And she's like, people don't want to pay attention to what's happening in the real world, which at this moment in time is like a mood. But um... <laughs> <laughs> but not quite a reality, I'll say. No, yeah. But the, the thing that comes up is, is that actually true? This question that she raises in the season premiere. By the end of the season, is it true for the characters in the world? And as a question that's supposed to be thought-provoking to viewers like is it true in reality that people don't want to pay attention and i think the reality has made it very clear that the answer is no that's not true Mm -hmm. people do pay attention and people do want to pay attention when things are important yeah and sometimes maybe they pay too much attention with the help of technology (laughs) yeah yeah that's actually the other extreme and i don't know that that was explored all that much thinking to, you know, people have the ability to monitor where everyone they know is at all times, like Mm -hmm. that can cause a lot of anxiety and create miscommunications and situations for conflict for no reason, Mm -hmm. because people just have extra information that they don't even need and would be better off if they just didn't have. I think that this concept of like, people want to use technology to disengage from the real world problems probably came about through trying to connect last season's Mm. theme to the season's focus true and try to be like okay so how do we tie in like politics and alien rights and and stuff like that to technology and they kind of came up with like this is why technology is the villain in some situations this is true well and the other thing that i i liked about it was that they really did kind of latch on to the idea that one of the things that we all are inclined to use technology the most for is to feel in touch with loved ones Mm -hmm. and i really would have liked to see that explored further i think in some different ways versus just the vr like having Kara with the allura hologram at some point would have been nice just because that was her primary source of solace like and i said i had liked that moment where Kara realizes that's what she's fighting against (laughs) in trying to get people to pay attention to her Mm -hmm. in the finale yeah just some more work in terms of tying it into personal struggles with the characters yeah so but the biggest thing i think as far as the use of the technology motif is did the season actually articulate an answer to its own question about what counts as real genuine connection between people when technology is involved or is it saying it should never be involved because i I think unfortunately for the show the pandemic has really (laughs) made it very clear that while technology is not the same as being in person it's a lifeline for people who can't be in person Uh, (laughs) and i don't know how effectively it addressed that issue So actually, I think just to kind of close out the thought relating to their idea of saying like this is their Black Mirror thing, like the one episode of Black Mirror that does stand out to me as being totally kind of close to what this season did is the one that Hayley Atwell is in. I think it was in season three where her husband dies and she gets like an AI of him. That she can have in her house to interact with. That goes into a very dark place with it. But (laughs) 
just that same idea of like, well, if you could recreate something that you lost, mm-hmm. kind of like what you said earlier about Lena using hope to create the friend that she lost. Yeah, that was a comment on technology. and Oh, yes. Yeah, but some more of that I think would be in line with what they were trying to do this season. Yeah. So then... In terms of judging like things that worked and didn't work for the season, obviously no one could predict that the world would become a mess in every imaginable way. Um, but there were some things that didn't age well in the immediate span between like when some of these episodes aired and when the season ended and then like now a month after the season ended like there's a quote in like the second episode of the season which i noticed upon rewatch because i was like oh (laughs) it's andrea criticizing some of the journalists for their story pitches by saying well people love to read about death it reminds them that they're alive and i'm like "Mm, that certainly lands differently now that hundreds of thousands of people have died of a disease that was somewhat preventable in its spread yeah it it is fitting for the character in that like oh it is she's not someone we agree with (laughs) especially in her early season iteration where she was like a full-on assassin um (laughs) yeah that's also but in terms of our like season theme she was not a person who had very much faith in people and kind of assumed this idea that people just want to hear about terrible things that are shiny well it's a very common assumption in a lot of media the idea that you know the the news and things are vegetables and everything else is like cake and people only want the junk food. Yeah. The other thing that was kind of funny was just her name drop of Elon Musk, <laughs> who in the time since the pandemic started has just demonstrated that I guess he deserved to be associated with a family that we were supposed to think was not very nice people. <laughs> mm. So kudos, I guess, <laughs> for that choice. So then real quick, let's talk about Lex. So I have enjoyed John Cryer's performance as Lex, but Mm -hmm. I am ready for him to go be Superman's nemesis again. (laughs) It's been enough time. I know he's a lovely person, but Mm -hmm. the character's kind of outworn his welcome a little bit. I mean, (laughs) that's his personality. He is grating in that way. But... But just in turn, from a storytelling perspective, I think it, it's reached past the point where it's time to to move on. Yeah, he's great as a trickster kind of character. But the thing about those characters is, you're better off to borrow from Hamilton, which was just all over everywhere. You want them to talk less because the less you know of what their plans are, <laughs> the more mastermindy their plans seem. Yeah. And having in both season four and season five whole episodes dedicated to like, here's how he tricked everyone. Like, we didn't need that. The clues were there enough mm-hmm. throughout the whole season. It's just really felt like an exercise and like, oh, this is fun for us. So let's do it. Um, and I don't <laughs> know that it necessarily added much to the story. It solved a casting problem, which was that they needed Melissa Free to direct. Yeah. I think I would have done it the other way where there was less Lex throughout the season. Like, he wasn't in every episode. Like, Mm -hmm. and we saw his little, like, plan and kind of could guess where it was headed. But instead just saw kind of the effects of certain decisions he made and then had the big reveal episode kind of like last season, which I think worked well last season. Yeah, that worked, I think, better than this having him be more of a presence. And it was tricky because they pushed the Lena story into a place where you kind of needed him there to give her story some emotional grounding. But the balance of, like, focus on the 
Luther's versus focus on the characters the show is about based on its title mm-hmm. was a little too heavy on the Luthers. Yeah. And the other thing that was unfortunate because they had to wrap the season early, they never got that story to a conclusion, which means like <laughs> it's coming back again. Yeah. And then in terms of just like bigger issues with the season, that was one of the issues with just it feeling disproportionate in who the focus was on. But one thing I started to wonder as we got closer to the end of the season was if it would feel different watching it in binge format versus the the week to week, because this season was so drawn out because of different problems with having to postpone or change schedule because of the pandemic and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it actually did flow better. Yeah watching it episode to episode because that was something I started noticing partway through this season. This show doesn't like repeat a lot of information to remind you of what has happened week to week. Like it's being crafted for people to watch it live, but also with the idea in mind that most of the audience actually isn't watching it Hmm. live in that format Um, because about two thirds of the viewers are actually people who watch it on streaming after the fact. And so some things that felt endlessly long in real time (laughs) flowed better when you rewatched it as one complete season. Like, because you didn't have to sit there like, God, we're stuck with this for a month. (laughs) um, (laughs) Particularly the beginning of the season went by a lot more quickly. I enjoyed the beginning of the season more on second viewing than I did, I think, the first time. Hmm. One thing that was a little funny, and this is where... The show's attempt to take on real world things or reinterpret real world things can get frustrating in a lack of depth is that they kind of were trying to make Andrea's takeover of Cat Cove be like a quasi BuzzFeed, mm-hmm. but it didn't feel like whoever came up with that idea really understands BuzzFeed. Um <laughs> Or appreciate the model that BuzzFeed has used in order to become a legitimate news agency that also has fun quizzes and like listicles of the 21 cutest cats you've ever seen in your life, which is something Cara Danvers would write. (laughs) (laughs) I think if they had kept on the reporting end instead of the obsidian part of it. Yeah. Instead of the investigative reporting, if they kept with the caco dynamic more toward the back half of the season, I think they might have naturally come to that conclude like you know i think car would have pushed it to be more in a a, a mixed format like buzzfeed well i also would have liked to see a little bit more development of the fact that andrea is a a tech entrepreneur in her worldview of how to approach news Mm -hmm. not just in the sense of like oh we need the clicks and the eyeballs like that's a that's a straightforward marketing thing like anyone who picks up a marketing book knows that but even from the point of view of her being like well we're going to redesign all the platforms that people are using to read the news so justifying like it needs to be this length because people will spend this much time because we want them to flow from this to this and like being a little bit more kind of like we saw lena early on when she acquired catco being like well this isn't my area of expertise but i'm gonna either try to learn or i'm gonna stir the pot and irritate all the people who think they already know what they're doing (laughs) Or I'm going to forge relationships with the people who do know what they're doing and collaborate. And so I would have liked a little more of that, especially because once we got past Crisis, Andrea really became a background character 
in a way that was disappointing given all of the development that they did for her in the front of the season. Mm-hmm. And not exactly related to that, but specifically with Andrea's development and the way they chose to create the character and revise the origin story versus the comics, it was really disappointing that they erased the fact that the Akrata from DC Comics has a Mexican origin Mm -hmm. for a few reasons. First of all, because you already had all the way back in season three, the storyline with Maggie and her father bringing up the idea that Even within the world of Supergirl, where Wonder Woman was the president, people did not like Mexicans. Mm -hmm. And then season four, you had this whole huge storyline about immigration, and it was meant to represent what was happening in the United States with anti-immigrant sentiment, particularly Latin American and specifically Mexican, because Trump was targeting Mexican people specifically in his comments. And so then you bring in this character who has this story that is tied to indigenous Mexican culture. And then the character now is Argentinian, which is very awkward when you know Latin American history and racial politics, because Argentina is the whitest country in Latin America. It has a demographic profile very similar to the United States. And it was also like a haven for Nazis when they fled Europe after World War II. So the other thing related to that was then when they got into the medallion of Akrata, it was randomly in Costa Rica, even though it is an Aztec medallion. That empire did not expand to Costa Rica. So that was awkward. And then also the fact that the uh, subtitles in the Spanish and Portuguese had to correct the mislabeled city that Lex traveled to in Brazil, which was a problem they had last year, too, with mislabeling locations on uh, some of their title cards. So in terms of just that, from both a representation standpoint, that was not great because they've made progress in a lot of areas. But Latin representation is one where they are still very weak. Every time they've done it, it has not been executed well. Mm -hmm. And then also just those details for the world building. And I know like not all of this is writing. Some of it's like the graphics people or the editing or what have you. But just those those other little things where you're trying to make the universe feel big and feel representative of the world. But you have like these sloppy things that are off. That's just frustrating because like if you want to elevate the material, you need to do it right. Mm. So but to go back to this issue with like world building and details and good, bad in between. One thing that they did really make an effort to do that was cool was to bring back concepts and character struggles that we've seen in previous seasons. Mm -hmm. I know we had talked about that in advance, even, I think, of season five. Like if, you know, they better mention Myriad. (laughs) Like like, (laughs) if if somebody's designing mind control, like we've seen that in the Mm -hmm. show before. And so we did see those things come up. We had references to the Phantom Zone, to Myriad. Those were big season one events and kind of traumatic memories for for some of the characters. We saw the truth seeker, little buddy, come Mm -hmm. back again. Seeking that truth. We had references to the mind wipe come up, to Alex being nearly drowned in season two. Mm. The one place, and this was just a broader issue that's been in play since season four, is that our core characters who've been with us since season one will get mentions of like their shared past or things that have happened to them. But we don't necessarily then get an emotional beat later of them interacting with each other and like mentioning it in a deeper way. And especially in the premiere where they're like, yeah, let's send them back to the Phantom Zone. I'm like, Kara, (laughs) Kara, you've got some feelings about that. Like, (laughs) yeah, 
Or with Myriad, it was neat because we did get some of the feelings about it from Kara, but we also saw Alex have like this really extreme reaction to it being involved that mm. was not dwelt upon in quite the same way. Yeah. Even though we know she's got some feelings about the fact that Non used it to have her nearly kill her sister. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, these things, if the season were filled with, I think, deeper plot points involving Kara, Alex, and John yeah. personally and like their internal feelings, mm -hmm. then the little mentions of stuff that happened in the past not being dug into deeper wouldn't stand out as much. But because there isn't all that other stuff happening, it's kind of like, oh, like it flies by and you can't quite grab it. They've been much more consistent about making sure that those three all have scenes with each other. Yeah. That's been an improvement, but they don't have storylines about their relationships with each other, really. Yeah. In the same way that they did in, in season one and season two, especially like that was why we got so excited when they did the mind wipe storyline last year. That was like the one storyline in all of mm. season four that was actually about the three of them. Yeah. But that's sort of something I'll hear a lot about characters that fans love being in positive relationships with each other in a familial way, in a romantic way, whatever way. Friendship is the idea that they should only have a positive relationship and like not ever fight and just like kind of fight against external factors. And I'm kind of like, that sounds very boring if you care about the dynamic. That sounds like y'all don't have a family. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> what makes a relationship dynamic important to a show is not its presence, but how integral it is to the plot. Well, and how much it matters to the characters. Like you want to see the demonstration that they have that closeness in each other's lives. And it's like presence is not the only thing that establishes that. Well, we have a lot of like emotional, like supportive moments. And I think that they're very deliberate about having those moments where mm -hmm. they support each other. It's just we also want to see the other stuff that's like them disagreeing about things and exploring their moral differences, their the way they see the world, how their experiences are different and how that makes them butt heads yeah like that was such a key part of Kara and Jean's relationship in season one which was great yeah we saw a bit of it in season four which was good stuff for them yeah and as I kind of said earlier there's really a lot of room to look at how Alex diverges from Kara and Jean in being human and their aliens mm -hmm. in a way that the show hasn't delved into too deeply since early in season one, where Alex talks about a lot of her insecurities coming from not being superhuman. Yeah. And they have an opportunity to explore this now with Alex being vigilante. Yeah. But there was one reference to a previous technology that has been used on the show that I thought was very interesting, mm. which was that in... Episode four of season five, we saw Kara use an image inducer, which she has never done before. So like <laughs> that was very interesting as a choice. Yeah. Number one, it was like a nice nod to technologies that have already existed in the show. And it also was a nod to the kind of things that were going on with Lena and her inventing and whether a piece of technology by itself has morality to it or hmm. if that rests entirely in the hands of the people who use it and how they use it. Yeah. Also relevant to like the whole myriad situation. Yeah. Well, and it also goes back to the place where Lena really struggles, which is how do you as the creator of something have responsibility over what you create mm. and what are your intentions or what are your biases or your point of view? How is that limiting the way that you foresee what people are going to do with the technology or what's going to happen, yeah. which came back to kind of get her a little at the end of the season. <laughs> but the image inducer in particular is 
a cool tech to see here with Kara because it's one that we've seen have both good and bad uses. And this was really a season where we were exploring good and bad of both tech and people, (laughs) particularly the people creating the technologies. So it stood out to me just for the sense that Kara is an alien who really doesn't have a need for an image inducer. Like Lena definitely created it with a good intention of letting people who felt uncomfortable being unable to blend in, blend in. So like some of the things Kara said to her over the years, she absorbed. um, (laughs) (laughs) Progress. And so it it was interesting to see Kara using a device that she herself really has never felt a need to use and she's never thought about. The other thing that's interesting is there's like a morally challenging kind of subtext to the way that Kara uses the image inducer because she is an alien and she is using it to trick people into thinking that she's not an alien. And that was one of the things that Ben Lockwood and his Earth First people were so afraid of, being deceived. And that's also, it comes up again with Nia's storyline late in season five with the transphobic guy who accuses Nia of doing that kind of thing of deceiving people into making them think she's something that she's not. Yeah. And so Kara's usually not not one to play things that way, but it was in the context of fighting with Martians and Martians are shapeshifters. So like fair game. <laughs> yeah. So like fair game. But like, you know, is it good? Is it bad? It, it all depends. So that was kind of cool in that sense. But the other thing that was kind of interesting about it was that the only times we've ever seen characters use the image inducer to be deceptive in that way, they've all been villains. We saw Eve do it in season four. We saw Otis Graves do it in the 100th episode when they kidnap Lena in what we think is the good AU at first. Um, (laughs) They usually are villains and they're always humans who are using it for malicious purposes to like trick both humans and aliens. So that's just intriguing that Kara is using it for a purpose that we typically associate with like bad people. The other place where like it was just a quick little beat, but it reminded me that there's a deeper thing here that the show hasn't explored is that Kara herself is always in this very challenging position as an alien, but as an alien who looks human and having to live on that dividing line where people will say, both good and bad things in all directions, not knowing how she's going to feel about it. Mm -hmm. And they showed that very briefly in season four, but we haven't had any good moments of it coming up again. That would be a good thing to revisit, especially now also having Nia at CatCo and our favorite side character alien Franklin is also still at CatCo and getting into the idea of different like things that Kara deals with much like in season one when people were being very critical of Supergirl and she couldn't say anything about it. Mm. And then Going back to that and seeing like, well, now that she feels more confident and her reputation as a journalist and as Supergirl is so much stronger, how is she going to respond to that now? And what will that do for her and her comfort with talking about herself, her real self, Yeah, both with strangers and with her family? So like that would be a nice thing to do. Agreed. And that's a wrap on season five. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with a new episode. We are still debating what the topic will be. So keep an eye out on our site, Supergirls Attic, for an announcement on that topic because we will definitely be interested in hearing from you guys as we develop the episode. You can contact us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Supergirls Attic. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.